You're listening to From the Field, a podcast helping ministry leaders think differently, thrive personally, and lead thoughtfully. Welcome to From the Field. My name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the founder of Telio, a care and formation ministry for pastors. My name is Tyler Dravitz. I'm the executive pastor at Ridgeline, and I also lead a company called MyXP, where we provide remote executive pastor support to churches around the country. Learn more at myxp.church. All right. You picked the question uh-huh. to kick us off. What's the best thing you've ever cooked? Uh-huh. Yeah, I feel I, like this was terribly slanted in your favor. Oh, just because I'm single and don't have someone who, like, helps with that. Well, and you you have cooked in yeah. your life. Yes. Yeah, that, that slants it in your well, direction based you, on the fact that I haven't. You didn't, like, leave your mom's house into Tammy's house. No, so there's I been lived cooking. with you, and you oh, cooked. That's true, that's fair, that's the point. <laughs> oh, we ate so bad when so we lived bad. together. Uh, All right, best thing you've ever cooked. Yeah, I have two things that I'm really proud of. The first one is, like, I make great chili, mm. and... It's not your favorite. Agree to disagree. But I don't, uh, but I don't care about that. It's just the, like it's the, the meatiest no. chili in the. It's all the meats. If I in have a to stew. correct you one more time on this, oh, so, so here's what meat. happened. We at the church. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a tangent. At the oh, church God. that we were at before Redemption Bible Church, uh-huh. there was a woman there who the company she worked for supplied like meat to a lot of different companies. I'm not going to say which one in the event she could get in trouble. But all that said, when the meat was like imperfectly packaged nothing wrong with the meat but something with the packaging Mm -hmm. that company would reject the meat Mm -hmm. and then she could buy it as an employee for like 25 cents a pound Mm -hmm. so our church freezer we would do like church events and all of that Mm -hmm. and our church freezer was filled with of many things like kind of pulled pork Mm -hmm. and so one time i decided i wonder if my chili would be good with the All freezer meats. full of pull. It wasn't even, there was only one meat. It was just six parts meat to one part everything else. That's true. And so, it, I mean, it almost cut like a casserole, then scooped mm-hmm. like it. And that's the one time you remember. <laughs> it is a delicious, very good chili that everyone else uh-huh. has always loved. Number two, though, that it takes like a few days. It's a whole thing. It wears me out. I haven't made it for like a year and a half. However, as... Like the thing, my go-to thing that I cook for people if they're like coming over for the first time or whatever. Uh, one once upon a time, I found a recipe for beer brined pork chops mm, that they good. like soak in like a beer and molasses and salt brine for a couple of days, and then you rub them with sage and black pepper and garlic and grill them, and they're like so good every time. They are, and people are impressed because usually pork chops are like. Wah, wah. Mm-hmm. Do you put that those pork chops in the chili too? So it's just no, one more. That, no. <laughs> you just take the nope. scraps and throw it in. We're going to do like a chili feed at Ridgeline and you're not invited. All right. Well, and based on win. my last experience, I'm okay with that. Oh, for the love. <laughs> you are ridiculous. I don't I don't cook. So the one thing that I make uh, occasionally is a French toast recipe I stole from the uh, he's I think he's a Food Network guy. Which which guy is the like Restaurant Impossible guy? 
Oh, he looks Robert like a drill Irvine? sergeant. Yeah. yeah. His French toast. Interesting. Yeah. I'm not familiar with his French toast. Yeah. I do love him. It's though. really good. Yeah. I don't know anything about him other than he looks like, a, like yeah. a Marine drill sergeant. And he was, uh, was he really? For, but not for this country. It was, is he from Austria? Maybe something I can't remember. Ah, uh, interesting. Is well, it? thanks for bringing it up based on the fact that you didn't know. <laughs> All right. So we've, we've had, um, I think five weeks in a row talking about some, some topic related to burnout. Mm -hmm. So it hasn't, it's been, uh, it's been on the more depressing end. Sure. A lot of it, but so has ministry for the, for the last couple of years. That's true. So here's, here's the, the question that we're going to wrestle with today is, is ministry as a vocation worth it? And if you listen, you might think no. Yeah. Well, that's, (laughs) we're still in it. That's that's kind of the 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 point is like, When you think about everything that has been uh, uniquely challenging, Mm. and it's not even like pre-COVID, it's not just COVID in the last couple of years. There's just, there is a lot about ministry that is very draining and challenging, Mm -hmm. like a lot of jobs, but there are some very unique things about ministry as a vocation. So we decided that we were going to do... At, the, at one point, we were talking about like a series of conversations on what we were referring to as like the perks of ministry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we started to talk and couldn't really come up with any. Um, well, yeah. As perks. Yeah. Like, uh, it, yeah. The, the truth is like the job doesn't have like a ton of perks. Sure. In, especially I mean, in a lot of contexts. And in my experience, uh, like of the churches we support, mm-hmm. not all of them, I'm not even sure even most of them offer health insurance yeah. as an option. So, so health insurance sucks. There's almost never life and like anything to do with like oh, life no. insurance life or retirement. retirement. The pay is not usually great. Yep. Vacation schedule. So any of those things that other companies would call like perks. perks yeah. You know, I worked at Starbucks. There's no free pound of coffee. Yep. There's, yeah. I mean, you have heavenly rewards. Yes, which matters. It does. But like on Monday morning, it doesn't always feel like it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So that that brings up this question, is ministry as a vocation worth it? So mm-hmm. I would say people might find themselves in one of two places. There are people who, like us, are in ministry. It's been a hard season the last couple of years. Sure. And at somewhere in the back of their mind might have really wrestled with, like, is it worth staying in this? Yeah. And or should I think about doing something else, which a lot of clergy are doing right now. Sure. We shared the stats. I don't remember right. the percentage, but it was a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. 46% of pastors under the age of 45 had strongly considered quitting ministry in the last two years. Yeah, that's fair. It's a high percentage. And that's the ones that admitted it. Sure. Um, but then I could, I would bet that there might also be some uh, other listeners, probably younger listeners, that are considering getting into ministry as a vocation that might have listened to the last couple episodes and are reconsidering <laughs> whether or not it's worth <laughs> That's it, fair. which I think is healthy yeah. to reconsider. Right. So we, we, we spent some time talking this week and we did come up with basically the answer to if someone were to, to sit with you and I and say, well, why are you guys still in it? Sure. We've got four reasons. I think that we landed on four or five. I lost count of these would be the primary reasons why this is why it's worth it yeah. to us. I so like you kick us off yeah. uh, at the start. Yeah. I think one of the things that's often overlooked is you have large in part, pretty much full control over your schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I mean by that is that there are the concrete deadline of like Sunday morning. Maybe you're a part of a church that has some other services that like is all hands on deck, everyone, but typically outside of like a couple Sunday morning, maybe of a Saturday night and Sunday morning mm-hmm. or something like that, or Sunday night, and then maybe a midweek. That's all the, and again, there might be trainings and this and that, but as far as weekly commitments, mm-hmm. it's, it's large in part 
pretty flexible. And I think that the thing that's really important to keep in mind, uh, even if you're a leader of one of these organizations, is like having sort of uh, the general vibe that like, get your work done. Yeah. And that doesn't mean get your work done. That's the priority. Yeah. And it doesn't mean get your work done in the first hour of the week and then you get to do whatever you want the rest of the week because then you don't need to be a full-time employee. So you got to have a balance. But even at the church that we worked at in North Carolina uh, with a number of staff members, everyone kind of understood that like anytime after Friday at noon was a little gray, Mm -hmm. as long as if you came to my office and office and was like, Hey, Tyler, can I head out? Uh, there are two things. One, you had to have your expense report done every time without <laughs> fail. Yep. If you even came, I'd look at you and people would hang their heads and say, yeah, I'll do my expense report. Yeah. Um, but then number two, it was just, if you came to me and said, I want to leave Friday at like one mm-hmm. cool and Sunday better go really well for mm-hmm. you. <laughs> yeah. Or next and, Friday when you come, the yeah. answer is going to be no. Right. And you might have to come in on Saturday to make sure. Right. So I think large in part, it's really easy to have some flexibility there, to be flexible, even if you have a staff, to mm-hmm. make sure that it's you're not too militant just because mm-hmm. you came from an environment that was like nine to five every time. Uh, ministry work is very gray. There's going to be long evenings. There's going to be early mornings. There's going to be Sundays that have board meetings and potlucks and just all Mm -hmm. kinds of things that are work. And so kind of let it work itself out in the wash and don't be too hateful about like really rigid hours, both with your people or with you. For Mm -hmm. example, I know some like church plant guys that are very rigid Mm -hmm. about like, even if they're working at Starbucks, they will arrive promptly at eight 30 and will leave at 5 PM. And that's just the way that it goes. And I think that that's, um, that's well-intended but misguided. Yeah. One thing I tried to be really mindful of in planting, I'm having the benefit of this is the second time I've planted a church, mm-hmm. is especially in that first year <clears throat> when we were here in Salt Lake, didn't know people. Like, I could have posted up in a coffee shop for eight, nine hours, and mm-hmm. and I would have at best been pretending to work 50% of the time. Sure. And so instead of, of, of allowing either the guilt or fear of like, I tried to be like really chill about that stuff. I spent yeah. a ton of time with my family. Mm-hmm. I did, did a lot of, I got very good advice from some other church planters when I moved here that was like, you should just really, really focus your intention on, on both you and helping your family fall in love with where you live. Mm-hmm. So we hiked and tried to explore the city and understand it. And I think all of that was really helpful. But I think one thing that we're talking about here that I've heard you talk about for years now is I know that you don't love the term uh, or the phrase work-life balance. Balance. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about what, I know a lot of that comes from a conversation you had in your Starbucks years. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the way you think about work-life balance and what your what, what phrase you prefer to that. Yeah, I think when you think about work-life balance, uh, it was actually uh, the Starbucks CEO at the time. I was at uh, the corporate headquarters for a training in Seattle, mm-hmm. and he came in, and that was a very, uh, Starbucks doesn't own that phrase by any means, but it was one that was used a lot. It yeah. was all about work-life balance, work-life balance. And he came in and just kind of, it was one of those things where, you know, a great uh, charismatic leader comes in and turns something you've always thought was great on its head. Yeah. But he just pointed out that if you think about even an old school scale, that's got like Mm -hmm. kind of two uh, holders on either side. Yeah, exactly. Like the scales of justice. Yeah. In order for a scale to be in perfect balance, it, it, it requires equal tension on both sides. And so genuinely what you're saying, when you think about the work-life balance is you're thinking about 
everything in your life being intention, you mm-hmm. know, that, that in order to give to life, you have to give to work and it's all got to be equal and all got to be uh, perfectly balanced. And he, you know, really advocated in that conversation for the idea of work-life blend. Mm-hmm. And his example in that was, he said that, you know, uh, he uh, is officially a coach or one of the coaches of his son's t-ball team, mm-hmm. but he's like the, I think, third base coach, you know, the one mm-hmm. that sits over there. And in yeah. t-ball, you don't get a lot of action in that spot. <laughs> yeah. And his son, I think, was five or six at the time. And he said, you know, when I'm there, like, I bring my lawn chair. I have my laptop. I plug in, you know, that was back in the days when you had to plug in one of those weird Wi-Fi cards. Mm -hmm. I plug that in, and I get a couple hundred emails responded to while I'm still saying, run, run, run. Mm -hmm. And he goes, and all my son cares about at that moment is that I'm present. And I know, like, I know and some people are on their phones too much when they should be with their family or whatever, Mm -hmm. but that was, he wasn't advocating for anything other than that's how he figured out the idea of work life. He's also, at the time, was the CEO of one of the largest companies in America. Yeah, he's busy. He's going to be a busy guy. And a t-ball coach, so good for him. Yeah. Uh, But I think that what's really important to think about is how does my work and life blend together? A great example is uh, a couple weeks ago, you got a text message, and I think it was the morning of, right? Where... uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was... Yeah, my son Ryder's playing... Tell the story. My son Ryder's playing drums now, and... He uh, goes to a uh, small Christian school here in the Valley, and I got a text from one of his teachers that he'd been asked to play drums in chapel that Mm -hmm. day. So it was in like two hours from when I got the text, basically. And I mean, there aren't too many jobs that I would have, because all I did was I, I... I study in the morning, so yep. I was able to just pop out for a half hour, hour, sure. go over and see my drums play, my son play drums in public for the first time, which I would have been heartbroken to miss that. Totally. And there aren't that many jobs. Like, I mean, gosh, all 20 years ago working at Starbucks as a barista, I wouldn't have been able to like, hey, I'll be back. My right. son's playing, like, we're like, we don't care. There's coffee to make. Right. Um, and so the freedom to be able to do that, and I mean, I've worked in five, six different churches and in all different sizes, all different cultures. I can't think of any of the six churches that I've worked in that I would not have had the freedom to be able to do that. Sure. Because it was a midweek thing. There wasn't anything pressing. And I really think that that is the flexibility piece. The control over schedule piece is something that is drastically overlooked as a significant benefit in in ministry as a vocation. Totally. Or I think, you know, when hard things happen in life mm-hmm. and uh, you're going through some things, a loved one passes away, things yeah. like that. Typically, what should be the case in ministry, and if it's not, you got to work on some things, mm-hmm. but what should be in the case in ministry is that you have the ability to uh, have it be a little bit gray for what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And if you got COVID or those kind of things, uh, most churches, unless you're a huge mega church, is not like ticking off sick time and Mm -hmm. personal leave and all of those types of things. And again, it's not to say or advocate for the fact that you just come and go as you please, but that you you recognize that your focus is like serving the Lord and you do that well, you do that faithfully, but you also recognize that that can happen outside of a very rigid schedule. Uh, And then I think the last thing just under control of your schedule is typically you you can really vacation whenever you want. And -hmm. again, if your only experience- Not like all the time, but like that you can really vacation at at any point throughout the year with the exception of like- 
Easter or Christmas. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I was getting there. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. I, just my point being is that um, if if your only experience is uh, kind of a the secular workforce, mm-hmm. that's not the case. And right. so if you've only been in a ministry position, maybe you graduated with your MDiv and took over at your pastor job and you're just kind of used to just planning the family vacation when works best for you and you kind of have like probably don't choose Christmas or Easter. That's mm-hmm. those. That's just bad yeah. form. But yeah. outside of that, it's a lot of gray. I mean, at Starbucks, I had all, I couldn't do uh, at a promo, promotion launch. I couldn't do at a promotion wind up. I couldn't do if someone was touring my stores. I mean, there were times when, you know, the president of the company would come to tour. I'd have vacation and it would be like, well, not anymore. I mean, you can go if you trust us, the president <laughs> of the company, walking through your store without you. Right. And you just got the big eyes and it was like, you're going to choose right. And I, right. and I always chose the way that I should, cause that's what you're supposed to do in that environment. Right. But I think in uh, a ministry context, you do have the ability to, again, and I'm sure maybe you have a dictated amount of vacation. Maybe it's a little more gray. I think there's lots of arguments to be had on both sides. I'm mm-hmm. more an advocate of like the gray. If you need a vacation vacation again, mm-hmm. as long as your job gets done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even here at Ridgeline, like you take the time that you need and there has to be someone to preach on Sunday. We're not right. just like close, up shop because you're gone so therefore like get your work done or get your work covered yeah and do what you need to do and so i think it's really important that especially if your only point of contact if you're here fried on ministry frustrated and feeling like i'm just not sure if it's worth it keep in mind the idea of that kind of schedule control does not exist in many jobs no No, that's really good. I would say a second thing that really I find very beneficial is is there is so much I'm still wrestling with like how to how to say this the mm-hmm. point we have written is convenient time with God you immediately got blown up on Twitter <laughs> yeah and really like what I what I mean is is like there is a sense in which un- unless you're in a really broken ministry environment mm-hmm. there there is as, as a part of your vocation, there is a sense of responsibility on you to really cultivate and care for your soul and your relationship with God. Absolutely. There aren't too many other jobs where that's like a major priority. Sure. And so that is that is significant. So like I think about the number, anytime I, I'm getting ready to start a new series that's going to cover some spiritual disciplines. Every time I talk about this stuff, one of the most significant obstacles for people is always time, time, Mm -hmm. time, time. I'm so busy. When am I going to do this? Mm -hmm. If you're a pastor and you don't have time to have a quiet time, I, I, I don't even like, I don't even know if that's a thing. Like Mm -hmm. I, I think that it is a valid obstacle in people's lives to say, like my time is tight. I have a lot going on. It's hard for me to prioritize this and get this in. Sure. I think it's an obstacle that must be overcome for spiritual mm-hmm. health, but I think it's a valid concern and question of people's lives. If sure. you're a pastor, it should not be. Right. So I, I would say that most people have to sacrifice some amount of time or some other priority in order to get that time with God. Totally. We, we should have the freedom to prioritize that. Yeah. And so, the only thing I would say with that is I like the way that I think about it is like, I know in some ministry settings, I know some, some ministry staff that come in and like, they start their day with their quiet time. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of that. I will nah. say that. As be- the executive pastor type, I wouldn't be yeah. either. I might be waiting for you with a list. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I think, I think that that I, if we are going to have an, uh, an, uh, an expectation 
on other on everybody else in our church yeah. who doesn't get paid to come and be at church all day long mm-hmm. that they need to make it a priority to carve that time to sit with God every single day then sure. we should be doing the same thing as well so the number the only time that my like quote unquote quiet time happens during my work day is like the wheels really fell off my life sure like kids were up puking all night or I slept horribly for some reason like whatever but other than that usually i'm up like between 5 and 5:30 to have that time in my time not ridgeline's time to mm-hmm. be able to sit with god and cultivate my relationship with him right what i think is awesome is that in addition to that right i get to spend an immense amount of time in reading and study and prayer and sacred conversation with people all of these other aspects of god is in such a in in such a amazing and unique way for me at the very forefront of so much of what i get to do every single day and that is not the case in almost any other kind of job sure well and i mean even even if you are the small group person at mm-hmm. your church like every book that's written on cultivating small groups or whatever mm-hmm. there are there to my knowledge, Mm -hmm. I've never come across one that was extremely and exclusively pragmatic. Some Mm -hmm. of them like lean towards that way, but there's always like a a theological foundation. There's always um, the kind of journey that the author went on to understand Mm -hmm. that. And through all of that, you're like learning and growing and being sanctified. Even if it's not your like dedicated quiet time, Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the study and the work that you do in order to be good at your job, uh, even, even things like uh, production and a lot of those types of things, because you're trying to find people who are focused on how to live this out in the church, Mm -hmm. oftentimes start with prayer, often, and I mean, there's just so many things like that, that to your point, have the ability to really uh, kind of stoke that fire or mm-hmm. just like fan into flame that like, yeah, that passion that burns in you. Yeah. And and there's a sense in which like in, in our line of quote unquote work, it's almost like we should be penalized if that's not happening. Absolutely. <laughs> not. And whereas in like, if you're, if you're like bugging out of work for an hour at a normal job to read your Bible and pray, like you're probably going to get fired for that sure. here. Like that's to be applauded in it again with the caveat that I would say, like, make sure that you are still making your relationship with God a priority in your own personal and private life, not just your professional one. But in addition to that, totally, we get to have this at the forefront of so many aspects of our lives. Well, and even like you said, on those days where the wheels fall off, you still have that luxury afforded to you, Mm -hmm. which again, a lot of people do not. No, it would just be like, well, I guess I'll. Sit with God tomorrow. Yeah. Good luck tomorrow. <laughs> Better right. luck next time. Uh, I think another way that um, ministry and all of that is really worth it, and I think one of the things that probably called me out of a job I really loved the most into ministry was the idea of meaningful daily work. Uh, I worked for a great company. I worked for Starbucks in its heyday in which it, I mean, its whole focus was about making a positive impact on people's lives, and I think that they did some great progress back then on that. Mm-hmm. And I, as a district manager, would get phone calls at 6.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. that a barista forgot to put extra foam on their latte. Right. And so it was very challenging, especially as I was processing through the decision mm-hmm. to leave a secular career that was uh, paying me very well, especially for how young I was and all of those kind of things. Um, 
like as I was processing through that, the idea that I had to care so much about your extra foam uh, really started to wear on me a bit. Mm -hmm. And so what I love is that there's very rarely a situation that as I've been in ministry for the last however many years, 10 Mm -hmm. some odd years, um, there's there's very rarely a situation that I don't feel like the work I do is meaningful. Uh, and listen here, I don't care if you are the facilities person. I don't care if you are the production person. I don't care if anyone at the church knows your name. If you are in ministry, on staff, uh, even as a behind-the-scenes person, I have been behind the scenes. I've been in front on a few occasions. I'm most comfortable behind the scenes. And I'm here to tell you there is meaning in your work. And mm-hmm. if you don't have the ability on your own to see the fact that your work causes everyone else's work to be done. Mm -hmm. Like, so maybe you don't spend a lot of time meeting with people, but the pastor learned that someone in the church got a cancer diagnosis and picked up the phone and called them and ministered to them. The fact that that pastor had that person's phone number is due to your work on the database. Yeah. I just think that uh, uh, I get really emotional when I talk about it because mm-hmm. I know that there are so many of those in ministry doing the hard work of ministry that others in ministry positions or maybe elder roles or things like mm-hmm. that uh, feel that that work is less than. Mm-hmm. And I'm just here to tell you, if the facility guy doesn't come unlock the building, everyone's going to go home because mm-hmm. it's winter and you're not meeting for church. Yeah, And so I just think that it's really important regardless of if it's ministering to people and and providing counsel mm-hmm. and prepping your message or if it's like making sure the chairs are straight and there are enough info cards and the website is updated so people even know where to find your church. Uh, it all matters and it's all yeah. so meaningful. And so regardless of what it is, it's uh, it's something that I've you know worked hard at and really pride myself in my ability to think about everything I do uh, is meaningful. And it's not that yours is more than mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might directly have more of an impact. But one of the things I'm always so thankful for you about is you've never once acted like, I'm the preacher, so get mm-hmm. out of my way. Yeah. You recognize that it's, I, I think you've always referred to it as the necessary the percent changes, but it's, you know, one, I'm two, pretty three, consistent. Four. I feel like what I do is the necessary 1%. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. The 99% is important as well. Right. And so I just think that, you know, you can't just have a clean facility and everyone shows up and says, this is clean and then yeah. goes home. <laughs> Everybody but got saved. They need it to be clean to come again. Yep. And that's, what's really important. Yeah. So I think, I think, uh, that's important. And then also, um, this ability to be a part of what you even referred to in this conversation already uh, as sacred conversations. And that's something that's available for any of us that are in ministry. I don't mm-hmm. care um, if that's your job. I don't care if that's your side thing. For me, uh, I don't regularly meet with people at our church. Mm-hmm. I don't do the counseling part. I've got another job that I do. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, where I make that a priority because I'm a pastor here is I like to get together with like a couple, maybe one or two people, mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a family and mm-hmm. and one at a time. And so throughout the year, I don't make it through tons and tons of, I can't have a list of a bullet points of tons of names. But what I know is even just last week, I had a couple of guys over to my house and we had some really meaningful conversation, yeah. just sitting over burgers and whiskey, just talking about um, the things that God was teaching us through your preaching, the things that God was teaching us through the pandemic and and some of the struggles that we were all having. And it was, it was awesome. And it was something that um, I haven't had a chance to do with those guys in the past and something I 
was really blessed by. And so I think even if being a part of those meaningful, sacred conversations uh, is not a part of your like bullet point on your job description. Mm-hmm. If you're in ministry and people know that, um, there is just something about the role, something about the Holy Spirit's work in that scenario that just causes people to open up and be honest about the mm-hmm. things that they're struggling with. And and being a part of that, I just think there's no greater honor than someone just uh, trusting and being vulnerable to share what's actually going on in their lives. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would say, <clears throat> I, I think I get to, it's a much bigger percentage of my job than it is yours, specifically the, like the sure. sacred conversation sure. with his counseling and more and more spiritual direction and these other things. There aren't very many people I know that while your quantity is less, the quality of conversation that you have with people is always like... There are very few people I know that are better at mm. helping people get to that point. Thank you. And hearing, you know, either from others, but even hearing you recount those conversations, like, you know, every once in a while, like one of the things I hear all the time is there's this like there is a reluctance oftentimes in people's lives as if there's like this threshold of intimacy that we have to reach before we can like have a sacred Mm -hmm. deep conversation. I personally, and some of this might just be my unique wiring. I, I just don't really think that's a thing. No, I almost always think it's like, it's like a courage and vulnerability thing. Mm -hmm. Do I have the courage to be vulnerable personally? And do I have the courage to ask a question that requires vulnerability? And I don't, I mean, I can meet with someone for the very first time and feel like this is, we're going to have a, we're not going to just sit here and talk about sports. Sure. We're going to talk about something deeper than that. And again, I think something that's important to, to emphasize is like in this, what we're talking, there has been some really great writing in the last, you know, 10 years about how to see all of work, regardless of your job as sacred, Mm -hmm. that it is that there is a way, like we are all serving Jesus. We are talking specifically about vocational ministry, but our point, like with a couple of these things is like, it's just so easy for us. Right. Like you don't have to, you know, you, I remember you talking through like, all right, here's how me making lattes or making sure these people are making lattes well is meaningful. Sure. Like we don't have to do the mental gymnastics required no. to figure that out. Like no. we get to be involved and invested in, in, in eternal manners every single day. Mm-hmm. And that is a tremendous gift because yep. so many people one of the reasons to go back to burnout that that so many are so burned out is they are very worn out from work that does not feel very meaningful. Mm-hmm. And yep. this, this does matter. Yep. Well, the last one that we'll hit on is that, um, and I, I hope this is true. It's certainly true for us. I, I, I don't know this <laughs> is true everywhere. So let me just preface this. Sadly, it has to be. Um, we get to work in an environment that mm. should be more conducive to spiritual growth. Yeah. In that, if I would hope that if we are working vocationally in a ministry environment, that our spiritual formation is at the forefront. It's kind of like, you know, the spending time with God thing. It should be at the forefront of our responsibility. Mm-hmm. You don't get to not be participating in your own spiritual formation. Like, totally. I mean, I would think, and this is, I was just talking to a friend over lunch and I was actually saying, I, th- I think it's sad, but ideally it would seem like if you got to work in a church vocationally through COVID, that should have been a tremendous blessing. Sure. You know, like, let's say you were one of those like behind the scenes, you're not a lead pastor, but yeah. so theoretically, like you report to a pastor that mm-hmm. you think 
would be like checking in on you, providing care for your soul, for your heart, for your mind, all of that. I know that a lot of the time that didn't happen from talking to friends, which I think is really, really sad. But theoretically, we should be working in environments that are very conducive to our spiritual growth. And that we are like, like if you think about how many other jobs outside of vocational ministry in which you are bombarded with things that let's just say don't necessarily promote holiness Mm -hmm. in your life. Totally. That you're having to figure out like, how do I live in the tension of this space and remain like faithful to God and not, you know, fall prey to so many of the things that are so common in, you know, many of these other environments. Um, I just think we really don't have that. Which yeah. is really nice. Yeah, and I think that it's really important. I mean, to keep in mind that the people in your church maybe have d- dealt with, you know, having to shield their minds and ears and oftentimes mm-hmm. eyes even from, you know, really awful things and coarse joking and things mm-hmm. that make them uncomfortable all week long and all of that. And they come to church and they come to small group for some sort of refuge. Free from and that. you live in that environment. Yeah. And so, yeah, I agree. And I think that if you are a pastor with people that report to you, whether uh, maybe they're volunteers or uh, even paid staff mm-hmm. members, it is your responsibility to remember you're their pastor too. Right. Um, and, and you're paid to spend time together. And so knowing like, what's the quality of their marriage? Uh, how is their parenting going? What are their biggest struggles? What are their mm-hmm. biggest footholds? All like those should be things that are not talked about and beat on every day, yeah. but that you should be able to engage on. And, and there should be an environment where those people can come and talk to you about those things. Because to your point, at some point, some of those things can lead to like lack of employment because you're no longer qualified to be in a ministry position. And so instead of being, you know, bound up by like this uh, kind of, drive to be perfect, mm-hmm. you you recognize that we're going to like grow together and you're a part of that kind of uh, the way that God is sanctifying those people who work for you. So that's yeah. definitely a responsibility on you if you're in that role. Mm-hmm. And I just think that um, uh, if you're in a role where, where you do report to someone, you should be able to expect that from them as well. Yeah, that's really good. And so, I mean, as we've, we've hit at nauseum over the last few weeks, there are a number of things that are very, very challenging. Mm -hmm. I don't think like I would always like, I'm not the like pastor dad that's encouraging his kids to go into vocational ministry. If God calls them into that, I think that that's great. And Mm -hmm. I'll be super supportive of that, but I'm not of the mindset that like ministry is the highest and most important calling. Like, I just don't, I don't think that way. I do think all work is sacred and, But what we've tried to hit on is, especially in this season where it's been easy for all of us to lose sight of why this matters, mm-hmm. these are a few reasons that really matter to us. Absolutely. So as a closing thought, one thing I think I would say in closing is if if these things are not true for you yep. in your context, you know, you don't have, like, you're just being worked to the bone, mm-hmm. like, you have no, no flexibility there, it is not a priority that you um, have a healthy soul and be spending time with God, you're mm-hmm. like, all these things that we've covered, if it's not true for you, and you can't affect change in those areas, sure. I would strongly consider a transition. Absolutely. To either another ministry context or another job altogether. Sure. Because again, there aren't tons of perks. Right. And so if these these things, I would argue, should be true in every context. And if they are not, it, it makes this as a vocation a very, very challenging one. Absolutely. And I would just say that uh, even if it's not true in your church environment, I 
personally know some like good, good pastors Mm -hmm. who need people. Yeah. I think we've talked about every ministry out there that has the ability to hire really needs people. And I can even personally, Tyler at myxp.church, point you in an environment of, uh, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying any of that, but but pastors who will care for you well Mm -hmm. uh, if you decide to make that transition. Yeah, that's really good. Well, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully this was uh, a more encouraging episode. Hope so. You know, once we got past the chili fiasco. I cried a couple times. You but, did. That's you know, good. Well. People, long-time listeners are going to know that that's the, that's the pre-cry, <laughs> the tie-tie pre-cry. That's right. <laughs> if you did enjoy this episode, if you would do us a favor and uh, subscribe wherever you listen, leave a review uh, on whatever platform you're listening at, and then you can connect with us on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at, at Ryan Hughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. You can find me on the same platforms at Tyler Dravitz, uh, at, at Tyler Dravitz. That's D-R-E-W-I-T-Z. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Until next time. Oh, wow. New one. We've got some people in our church. They've actually created a whole list. So. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Glad they're feeding mm-hmm. this fire. Mm-hmm.